Hello everyone and welcome to God and All Things. I'm Tori. And I'm Kariana. And today we are very excited to be discussing Jane Eyre, which Ooh. is a very popular <laughs> classic. If you haven't heard of Jane Eyre, of course we will introduce it in just a moment, but suffice it to say it is wonderful and not my favorite Bronte, but we'll get into that in a moment. <laughs> um, let's start, like I said, with a brief summary so that we can get you guys introduced to it if you're unfamiliar with the book. Perfect. Yeah, so Jane Eyre is a strong-willed girl who grows to be a very strong-willed woman as well. Um, the novel is uh, Buildings Roman, um, and it follows Jane from her very unhappy infancy uh, through her mildly joyful teenage years <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to her passionate and shockingly eventful history as an 18-year-old, and that's where most of the book takes place. Um, with the experience of love and loss in various types of relationships comes growth and understanding about people and the world in the intelligent, lovable character of Jane Eyre. Beautifully done. <laughs> Love it. So yes, um, like I said, it's not my favorite Bronte novel. So I first read Jane Eyre in high school. I was in an AP literature class and it was my junior year of high school. And I read this one on my own and we didn't read it for mm. class. Um, and I enjoyed it. I didn't love it. But, I mean, it was good and it was easy for me to read on my own. That was kind of my first year of actually getting into classics, really. So a lot of my first classics came from that year primarily. And I, like I said, I, I was fine with this one. It was easy to understand, easy to see, to read, just didn't love it. Um, and then time went on and I want to say it was two years ago in October for, of course, Victober, <laughs> um, the readathon where they read Victorian literature throughout the months of October, um, hosted on YouTube. I ended up listening to it on audiobook, and I believe, it, who was it read by? I can't even remember, but it was a good audiobook, <laughs> and um, I ended up really enjoying it a lot more the second time, and it's also one that I love hearing people talk about, like I love hearing various discussions and ideas and thoughts and opinions about it because it's so well loved by so many people and it's just nice to hear people get excited about things but also it is a very it's very much a work of art like I can understand why a lot of people consider it one to visit if you're getting into classics because it's easy to read and it's really interesting and fun um, a lot of things going on and it's also just, yeah, a lot, a very well-loved book. Um, and definitely the most loved of the Brontes, which they of themselves are also very popular. So being the most popular amongst popular writers, like, it's going to win out. Um, and then I, yeah, I would say my favorite is Wuthering Heights, as far as which Kariana knows, <laughs> which will be discussed at a later date, date a little bit more in depth. But um, yeah, I I do appreciate Jane Eyre for what it is, and I'm excited to talk about it. Ooh, okay. Yeah, as far as I'm concerned, Wuthering Heights is not only the best Bronte novel, but the best novel, uh, period. Yes, <laughs> yes, fair enough. Um, <laughs> but Jane Eyre was fantastic. Um, I did not read this in school. This was my first read of Jane Eyre. Um, it's one that Tori has been telling me to read <laughs> for yes. a while now. Yes. So I picked it up before we decided to do, or maybe, 
Maybe it was after we decided to do the podcast, but before we started. I don't know. I read a little bit before any of this, but didn't get very far before life got in the way. So I was excited to have a reason to finally (laughs) pick it back up and read it. Uh Um, So yeah, I would say that I definitely, it didn't take over Wuthering Heights for me, um, but it is definitely like probably more lovable it's yes. more you know like I can understand why people in general would love it more mm-hmm. and um and it's really fun there is a lot going on I was telling my little brother about it and he was yeah. like what is this what the heck kind of soap opera like <laughs> yeah. yeah he's like I gotta start reading Victorian classics and I was like yeah you do Seriously? buddy all right <laughs> um but yeah so really interesting I would say that amazingly I actually have some problems with some of the characters that doesn't happen yeah very normally i'm pretty like you know i'm pretty like you know whatever yeah. <laughs> i don't i don't really mind what my she loves weathering heights, I like... love weathering heights. <laughs> and i'm not like i don't get upset by you know some of the like feminist issues in okay, classic yeah. literature mm-hmm. like i don't care about that kind of stuff but this one some of the men i was kind of like oh no, no, like, I don't like you very much, actually. That is not healthy. So, yeah, so I think that took away, that's probably really what took away mm-hmm. from I was still excited and, you know, like, yeah. squealing and... <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, um, and all of that kind of stuff, and I still love the love stories, but... She stayed up real late. I stayed up really late. And then sent me a voice message <laughs> that I listened to half of when I was like half asleep because I just needed to know what the heck she was saying. And then I was like, not the headspace for it. I gotta wait till I'm actually like awake. <laughs> yeah. But it was a blast. Yeah. Lots of laughing, lots of squealing. Um, <laughs> some weird, I don't know, like. <laughs> There, there was one scene where I definitely, I was, like, sitting on my couch and I, like, fell over and had to, like, shove my head in the cushions to, like, hide my squealing a little bit. It was, uh, if you could have seen me at 3 o'clock in the morning on my li- in my living room. Oh my <laughs> it was That's a so sight funny. to behold. But, uh, yeah, I just had to know how it ended because I was like, what's happening in this book? No. Yes. Um, anyway. I guess I will say also before, while we're on this kind of personal feeling about Mm -hmm. it topic um in case you're not in a position to want to read the whole book but you do want to know the story either after we do this podcast or you listen to this podcast or before you actually listen to it all the way through um there is a really cute 2012 version that's like a movie version it's pretty good it does focus a lot more on the relationship between john and rochester as opposed to jane as a character which i think the book spends more a little more time with jane being jane right um my favorite adaptation is actually a miniseries from 2008 i mean the bbc um, miniseries yes, they're the just always miniseries the usually you can trust <laughs> they just capture um, the book so well yes they do and i can't remember how many i want to say it's only four or five episodes i actually six, looked it up I after i finished i think mm-hmm. it's just two Oh, it is just two two hour long episodes. That's right. Yep. Yeah. It is only two two hour long. So yeah, very easy to watch. Yeah, you can watch it over a couple days. But um, yeah, that one's my preferred. I think it does a really good job of developing it as an adaptation. Um, but the film is really cute too. So and it captures most of the big plot points. I don't love the way it ends. It's very abrupt the way Mm. it ends in that film. Um, but I do, so yeah, it just depends on what you like. If you just want to know about the romance, then the 2012, it has, um, Michael Fassbender as Rochester. Mm. 
and a he does too a hot great to play Rochester. Um, a little bit, but he does good. <laughs> and um, the other one, I can't remember his name. He's been in a lot of miniseries, though. Okay. Um, from the BBC, he was in um, a couple of them that I know he was in. He was in The Tenet of Wildfell Hall, which I think was actually just maybe a movie. It was from, like, the 90s. He was young in that one. And then he plays the main male character. And then he's also in... Um, and then there were none from just a few years ago. He plays the doctor, if you've seen that. So those are some options if you're curious to see that and don't want to read the whole novel. Because it's not huge but it's not small <laughs> it's definitely my edition's 500 pages so it's the same yeah. yeah so it's a pretty chunky it's to me as far as my reading goes i consider it on like the lower end of chunky same. but yeah definitely it will take a bit for most people but like i said it is a lot easier to read than some other classics so Anyway, mm -hmm. take that as you will. As far as gospel principles go, we will be discussing integrity, and this is mostly to do with the character of Jane herself. Also, I have some thoughts on the development of Rochester by the end, but like always, we'll introduce with a little paragraph that we've typed up. So integrity can be defined as our willingness and intention to live by our beliefs and standards regardless of context. We choose to love God and our relationship with him above all other relationships and earthly needs. This is beautifully illustrated in the Book of Mormon, 1 Nephi chapter 8, where Lehi describes his dream of the iron rod leading to the tree of life. Those with integrity are those who did press their way forward, continually holding, continually holding fast the rod of iron until they came forth and fell down and partook of the fruit of the tree. Though much was present around them to tempt them away, their integrity led them to choose God and fight for the joy only he can provide, rather than be led away by things that were merely temporary and ultimately damaging. I really love the principle of integrity because I think it's so, I guess it's such a pinnacle of everything we do as members, as converts of god basically and of it's christ fundamental yes that's the word i kept yeah. saying with like the prophets and talks and stuff yes fundamental. absolutely it's a fundamental thing because it means that you're actually converted and you actually have that relationship with god and want to develop that relationship yeah. with god and that's so central to everything because why would you do any of this any of the things we're asked to do if you don't have a relationship with god yeah. it would just feel pointless and ultimately you would burn out very quickly yeah it's like the difference between doing things for like a telestial reason you know because mm -hmm. you fear the consequences otherwise and a celestial reason because you love god and you want to do what's right yes absolutely which is what it's the higher law we're all striving to yeah. be able to live and i do think jane while not perfect as no one is she does showcase that integrity very well and it's fun because the story allows you to see her develop that integrity as well mm -hmm. and where she ends up getting that from. And it's not something that she's necessarily born with. I really like that about her is it shows that it's something she came to develop by making choices about how she was going to behave and how she was going to treat that relationship with god we will start of course right at the very beginning a very good place to start i think i'm gonna say that every time <laughs> um anyway <laughs> it's just too quotable it 
just have to. It's they just did perfect, it on purpose, I you know? swear. <laughs> Honestly. So we start off with the iconic first line. There was no possibility of taking a walk that day. And we start with um, young Jane Eyre as she is being raised by her aunt, who's not her blood relative. Her uncle was the blood relative. And her aunt, after he passed away, he told his wife that she needed to continue to take care of Jane Eyre, which she was not very pleased about. And so she does not treat her very well. Um, And the cousins don't treat her well either. There's two girls and a boy, I believe. And they are very abusive to her. Um, There's a situation where she ends up locked in the red room, which is the room where her uncle passed away. And so she's scared by that um and then eventually we have her aunt deciding to send her off to Lowood school so that she can be taken care of there it's like a boarding school so she would be kept there all year round basically and some thoughts particularly on that first part about Jane we see that she starts off being very bitter about it understandably because she's a child being treated in a terrible way and she even at one point tells her aunt off for being a liar and lying about her character and basically saying you know I'm never I'm going to tell everybody what you did to me like I'm not gonna hide it I'm not gonna lie for you because I'm not a liar, you're the liar, and just very resentful um, towards the situation, again, understandably, but it definitely impacts her ability to find joy in life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she says a lot of things such as, unjust, unjust, said my reason, against um, her cousin's violence towards her and then her being punished. We see, like I said, the scene with her aunt where she really tells her off about lying about her character but we also see very early on that she's a very reflective person like she yes is very inclined to be bitter about things but she's not inclined to act rashly or instinctively like she puts a lot of thought into things and there's many many times where it actually says I reflected again I reflected and so we're seeing very early on that she's the type of person who she's able to think before she acts and at this time in her life she's immature enough to still act in an angry and bitter manner but there is at least some level of thought behind it and how she's going to approach things which is very impactful later in life for her is her ability to reflect and not act immediately Mm -hmm. yeah i think she has a very strong sense of justice that we see right here at the beginning Mm -hmm. you read that quote unjust unjust Mm -hmm. you know she gets She's really upset when she gets punished for other people's behaviors. She's not willing to lie for her aunt. We see it later, too, at Lowood. Like, she has, when things are not, she has a very strong sense of what is right. And if it's not right, then you're wrong, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And it, it should be fixed, you know? She definitely has that. Which I think is probably a good lead in to her integrity, too. I definitely agree that her integrity is something that's developed, but... I think we see those character traits like that ability to reflect that that she's so in control of her actions even when she chooses to use them for anger and bitterness Mm -hmm. and that sense of justice. I think all of those enable her to be able to make the extreme choices that she does with her integrity in mind, you know, because she knows what she believes is right. She reflects and decides what she believes is right. Yes. (laughs) She's uh able to channel that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. But that kind of imbalance between those two characteristics and where it's kind of leading her 
Um, it does remind me of in James, in the Bible, James chapter 1, verse 8. It says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And I think there is a sense of instability in her at a young age where she is vacillating back and forth between being a thoughtful, reflective person and also being a bitter person. Like, it's kind of hard to balance those things because the more you reflect, it gets harder to stay bitter because you're, like, being able to see humanity and people a little bit better and you're allowing yourself to reconsider things. Um, And so, but because she's still hanging on to the bitterness, it does make her feel a little shaky and uncertain in the world. And I think part of that also comes with her immaturity as a child. Like she's And she's dealing with trauma. Like, a lot of this reflectiveness is probably partially due to the fact that she knows that when she reacts badly then she's the one in trouble um and so she's had to kind of train herself to take a little bit more time with things which is yeah like i said a double-edged sword in some ways because of just the nature of her situation she ends up meeting people at lowood who do end up helping her through that unbalance um we go to lowood and a couple of the impactful people of course first of all helen burns is the biggest (laughs) impact for sure um she is an older girl at the school who we i think we would probably say she most likely has ADHD um, okay. nowadays. Um, at least that's what I've heard a lot of people talk about, and it makes sense to me. She's just very cluttered. She has a hard time focusing. Um, she tends to get distracted a lot in class and have a hard time remembering things because of that distractedness, which are all pretty clear signs of ADHD and how we would term it today, especially for a girl. And so, like, she's not running around the room but yeah she's very distractible and um, has a hard time keeping things clean and stuff but she's also a very as far as integrity goes she has a lot of integrity and she really has a strong relationship with god and it's that she's able to pass on to jane the other one we have who's also impactful on helen is mrs oh my goodness can i remember miss temple is her name um, which is just a, kind of an ironic name. Kind of, perfect. <laughs> um, kind of a perfect name um, because she is kind of the safe space at the yeah. school. She's the safe teacher, basically. And she's very caring towards Helen um, and does what she can. She's not in charge of the school, at least not to begin with. So there's a lot that Mr. Bracklehurst or whatever his name is, yeah. the head of the school, does yeah. that's not very nice or probably would put him in jail nowadays um but she does what she can and so between the two of them they really have a very positive impact on jane i think it's pretty impressive that jane is able to kind of separate good influences and bad ones Mm. because there are a lot of bad influences at the school too you know mr brocklehurst just kind of sucks and her own character gets lied about and i think Mm. that's a big one where she like feels so uncomfortable because Mr. Brocklehurst says something about her in front of everybody and she like can't look anyone in the eye until Miss Temple clears it up and says no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's good. Yes. Um, and so she like really cares about her own character and I think we see that. I think that's 
you know her early on integrity showing mm-hmm. right is yes. <laughs> is wanting people uh-huh. it's a little bit you know it's less for her own sake and more say, for the sake of others a little bit of, of a pride behind it yes for sure. yes you could call it pride instead but it's it's the beginnings of it you know she wants people to know that she is good <laughs> but yeah so she has this influence of her aunt and her cousins who have a complete lack of integrity and anything really good about them that we can see, you know? Mm, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and same with Mr. Brocklehurst and a lot of the other teachers who greatly mistreat the girls at the school. But then she's able to kind of separate, like, I don't like those people and I don't want to be like them and take Helen and Miss Temple and say, I love these people and so I'm going to take their qualities and emulate them. Because that's not something that every child does, you know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so it's really impressive of her. It, I think it shows that innateness, you know? She has to develop and she has to grow and make her own decisions. But there's something inside of her that wants to be good and follow mm-hmm. examples that she deems positive. And um, I think that it also, that part of her is also prompted in one of her early um discussions with helen jane ends up asking helen um about miss scatchard who is not very nice to helen she's one of the ones who disciplines her a lot because of that those adhd symptoms that we talked about and jane or helen's response is cruel not at all she is severe she dislikes my faults and jane just cannot understand that she's like (laughs) but like you're trying your best like how can you be okay with her treating you that way and helen's just like she says it is weak and silly to say you cannot bear what it is your fate to be required to bear and she you just see very quickly that she has this great relationship with god that just keeps her like she's like i am put in this situation and there's only so much i can do about it and part of that is controlling my attitude towards it and so she takes that in hand just knowing that god will provide the strength because he's the one who's let you be there and it's interesting because jane ends up feeling like helen burns considered things by a light invisible to my eyes which i love that line so much that helen's able to see something that jane can't right now um and a lot of that comes from her spirituality which we quickly learn because she does talk a lot about god and following him and trusting him yeah we definitely you know we talk a lot about there are so many stories about out there about people saying like oh you just have this light about you you know where does that come Mm -hmm. from and that is like a hundred percent helen and jane recognizes it yeah but there's something else we could do a whole other topic lesson on forgiveness with helen and jane Mm -hmm. (laughs) throughout this book uh, that would be fun but Mm -hmm. we'll stick to integrity (laughs) yes a couple other quick little quotes from that conversation because i think it just adds to us learning about what jane's experiencing in hearing helen speak she quotes the scripture love your enemies bless them that curse you do good to them that hate you and despitefully use you and then she goes on to say life appears to me too short to be spent in nursing animosity or registering wrongs which is just also beautiful and very much food for thought. I think it's so easy for us to just be angry (laughs) and to hold on to that. But really, ultimately, I mean, like, I know for me, I, I mean, I work in retail. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) yes, honestly, I mean, I'm blessed to work in a store that is very focused around spiritual things. 
And so it definitely could be worse. But there's always just people who aren't going to be pleased with anything. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to just, like, be angry about it and, like, spend the rest of the day just being like, oh, my gosh. When you have these interactions with customers who are being unreasonable or whatever, who are, like, trying to manipulate the system clearly. Especially almost in a situation in a store like that where it's so based around spiritual things that you're like, are you kidding me? Right. Why are you behaving this way? like would you like would Christ behave this way no so it makes it almost even more frustrating because you're like you're in a environment where this should not be happening for sure and it still does but it's nice to be reminded that like life is too short to be doing that like I don't want to spend the majority of my life feeling frustrated about things that happen I'd rather just move on and find the joy in things and change my perspective on things if necessary so that I can come closer to Christ because that's a much better use of my time you know and adding to that I think it's really easy to say you know this is a natural feeling which it is like Mm -hmm. it's natural for us to get Mm -hmm. angry but (laughs) you know the natural man is also natural Uh (laughs) that's kind of the point right so I think it's easy for us to think like oh it's normal to be angry so it's okay Mm -hmm. Or, like, God would understand why I'm angry right now, and so it's fine, you Mm -hmm. know, especially with some of those bigger ones, like when somebody does something genuinely horrible against you, it can be kind of easy to say, like, oh, like, God knows this horrible thing, and he would understand, and he would... Like, he understands why I'm angry, and so it's okay. Mm -hmm. And I don't think... I've heard that used as a justification before, and I'm like, God does understand why you're angry. And as long as you're trying to forgive and come to Christ, then I think you're okay, you know? Because sometimes Uh it takes time, and he's okay with that, too. But just saying, like, no, I'm angry, and so I'm going to be angry Mm -hmm. is, you know, like, that's... No, like Christ taught, love those who use you. Yes. Like he the, he said mm-hmm. difficult words, you know? Yeah. And I think he's going to hold us to that. Yeah. And I so, agree. yeah, El- El- Helen is just, she's a great example of that. And I think Jane really internalizes those lessons. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I think, too, with that, just like Christ holding us to that isn't necessarily for his sake or for the other person's sake it's for yours like she's like sure you can keep being angry i understand why but like who's it actually gonna help yeah no one one of my favorite quotes is being angry is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die yes seriously (laughs) because it is like you're just hurting yourself ultimately it's not gonna fix anything that moment's still gonna happen it's like one of those things where you know people nowadays can be so un- unforgiving about mm-hmm. you know the cancel court culture and all For of that sure. and just and even when people come out and apologize about things or change whatever they said or whatever like people have such a tendency to just still be angry about yeah, it instead dismissed. of just yeah just recognizing like hey they're just a person yeah. and the fact that they're trying to do better should be enough for me right but they're learning too yeah they <laughs> at this point they probably wish that moment away too, but they can't. It can't be changed. That's what happened. That's what apologies nothing, are for. Exactly. <laughs> That's why we there's made the word sorry. There's nothing they can do about it except for apologize and try to do better. Yeah. So I think it's very powerful that Helen has that attitude. And we see very quickly that it does influence Jane. She's pulled in front of the student body by Mr. Brocklehurst, who talks about how she is a liar and goes off on that rant that her aunt originally went on 
And her reaction, she's made to stand in front of the class and not with a some sort of sign on her that's like mm-hmm. a liar or something for hours stand in front of there and i think she's not allowed to eat dinner as well and it says i mastered the rising hysteria lifted up my head and took a firm stand on the stool and so she immediately is starting to apply that being like you know what like this is what's happening i can't do anything about it except for bear it yep. and so she seeks out that strength to be able to do that and this is only a few pages later like she's very right. quickly picking up i think that goes back to her reflected reflective nature that she's like okay i'm going to try to apply this because i do see what she's saying even though i don't fully understand it yet right and then we get into the tragedy of Helen Burns passing. Um, she ends up developing, there's a typhoid epidemic in the school and she develops typhoid. I think she already had consumption issues that have been lingering for her and it finally catches up with her and she ends up passing away with jane lying next to her it's like such a sad scene of and she's also just she represents jane's first friend like her first good influence in her life and she ends up being the friend that has the most lasting impact on her throughout the rest of her life so one of my favorite ways that Jane kind of like describes her relationship with Helen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is she says when Helen is like sick, she's not really spending a whole lot of time with her because she's like being kept away from everybody. But Jane says, though I am a defective being with many faults and few redeeming points, yet I never tired of Helen Burns, nor ever ceased to cherish for her a sentiment of attachment as strong, tender and respectful as any that ever animated my heart. I thought that that was just such a beautiful, you know, again, she's very, she's very reflective on herself, right? And she recognizes Helen's greatness. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, maybe it's not, we're not supposed to compare ourselves necessarily. Mm -hmm. And she's very, (laughs) but, but she's, she is, she's, you know, to a healthy point, you know, she's comparing herself to Helen. For the sake of emulating. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She's not saying like, I suck and I'm never going to be as good as Helen Burns, right? Mm -hmm. She's saying that I have a lot of problems and I want to develop these characteristics that Helen has. And I think it's really interesting that she reflects on herself saying I am a defective being. I think it's interesting too to note that like a lot of this is all being written from her perspective as an older person, but this Mm -hmm. is in present tense. She says, I am a defective being with many faults and few redeeming Mm -hmm. points. So I think she's very... You know, she thinks about her qualities a lot and what she wants to fix. But even though she had a lot of problems, she loved, she always loved being around Helen, even if Helen was always trying to teach her something. And she was Mm -hmm. very receptive to everything that Helen had to say. And yeah, I just love that that Mm -hmm. just made her love her so much. And she took all of that to heart. And I think that's really meaningful. (laughs) I love too that it's an older friends like it's very much like a older sister younger sister relationship which is really sweet and also very heartbreaking when you learn that helen is based on charlotte's own older sister who passed away at school yeah if you didn't know that (laughs) um (laughs) her own older sister there was a typhoid epidemic at their school growing up and that's why charlotte ended up being the oldest was there were actually two Mm. sisters who were older than her and they both died um, in this epidemic and so oh, that's yeah. who Helen Burns is based on but what a blessing for her to be able to have someone in her life who was able to do that for her like yeah. I think we all should be seeking to find someone who 
can be a mentor like that in such a spiritual way, a mentor friend, and just friends in general who just make you want to be a better person, which you do to me. So that's Aww. so cute. Just to <laughs> Here make we this are. Extra corny. <laughs> um, anyway, but we honestly, won't say who's Helen you know, and who's Jane, right? But. <laughs> it depends on the moment, I'm sure. <laughs> Let's be true. honest. <laughs> I guess before we move into Thornfield, I do want to discuss a little bit about Miss Temple. We briefly mentioned her already, um, but she is very impactful to Helen, as we mentioned earlier. She's She seems to be kind of the one who was that influence for Helen. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe Helen didn't need it on the same level as Jane necessarily, but you get the feeling that Miss Temple is the one person who's shown her kindness at the school. She's the one who's shown charity and love for Helen in a way that really has impacted her. Something that kind of interested me was that Miss Temple leaves the school. So Jane has like kind of graduated in a way, I guess, and become a teacher at mm-hmm. the school. So she's kind of moved from student to teacher and spent two years teaching and then at that point, Miss Temple gets married and leaves. Um, and I just think that it's really interesting that Miss Temple leaving is kind of what prompts Jane to then leave the school, mm. right? It says, so she left and so they got a half holiday to celebrate Miss Temple, right? And kind of going back to that reflection, she says, I walked about the chamber most of the time. I imagined myself only to be regretting my loss and thinking how to repair it. But when my reflections were concluded and I looked up and found that the afternoon was gone and evening far advanced, another discovery dawned on me, namely that in the interval I had undergone a transforming process. And she kind of talks about how, like, she's basically taken on the characteristics of Miss Temple over the past eight years that Mm -hmm. she spent there. Um, But now she kind of feels herself returning to this old self and wants to, like, explore and get out and do different things. And I think it's really cool that Jane, she has Helen and Miss Temple. And as long as she has them, she has a reason to stay, right? But Mm -hmm. once she loses these people who aren't really that mentor, moral guide, she kind of has no reason to be there anymore. Like she wants to go somewhere Mm -hmm. else where she can continue to grow and learn. And I think she really thrives on that internal reflection and learning and growth and she she just really really desires to have that and actively seeks it out you know up to this point it's just kind of come to her but then here we see that she is looking for it it's not just a passive thing that happens and so I just really really love that that she wants to give herself the chance to kind of continue to grow and to maybe find a new mentor a new person to love and also to maybe test the things that she's learned out in the Mm. world in a different situation away from what's been comfortable to her yeah absolutely and I think that She's also developed herself to a point where she's confident doing that. Mm -hmm. Like she's confident enough in her own integrity that she's willing to kind of put it to the test a little bit more and see how much more she can grow, like you said. So then after, like we said, after Miss Temple leaves, that's when she ends up leaving and she ends up applying for a governess position in Thordfield Hall. um, And she ends up going. She ends up meeting Mrs. Fairfax, who is the housekeeper, who she thinks is the owner of the house (laughs) and the mother of the child or grandmother. And is quickly told, no, that's not the case. Um, She is just the housekeeper. 
Um, but she's very kind and very welcoming, even though it's a little bit of a strange house. It's very quiet and empty, very dark. The master of the house is not currently at home. And I love as Jane gets settled in that she says, The impulse of gratitude swelled my heart, and I knelt down at the bedside and offered up thanks where thanks were due, not forgetting ere I rose to implore aid on my further path and the power of meriting the kindness which seemed so frankly offered me before it was earned. And I love that we see her new impulses rather than being frustrated or very self-focused is very gratitude focused. Her first instinct is to pray and thank God and ask him for help. And also just her first instinct is not only to thank the person giving the kindness, but also recognizing God's hand in that, which is so key to her relationship with God and how that allows her to have so much integrity. And she wants to merit it too, which is again, Mm -hmm. that kind of higher law, you know, it's not just Mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, I feel good, you know, and that's nice. Mm -hmm. It's more, it's like, I want to be good Mm -hmm. because, you know, because this person deserves it and that's all, you know? Uh (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And it's just really, it ends up helping her a lot that her impulse is towards gratitude, Mm -hmm. which I think is such an incredible skill to have (laughs) because it's so easy. Like in a situation like this, it could have been so easy, even if Mrs. Fairfax was kind, like, it's cold, it's dark, like she's been traveling through the night, she's probably exhausted. And just the little choice of showing gratitude and praying before she goes to bed just shows so much about her character and what matters to her. And I just, that's something, I feel like I have developed in myself, but it's something I really want to continue to make sure is developed in myself because it's so central like we talked about last week like it is so much harder or i guess two weeks ago it's so much harder to dismiss god or forget about god when you have a relationship with him Mm -hmm. and i think one of the key basis of relationship is communicating with each other and showing gratitude for things and appreciation for the other person while also trusting them showing that trust in them which is what she does in this moment and i just i absolutely love that yeah, for sure. That's kind of, I mean, it's really easy to apply that to our earthly relationships, right? Like, yeah. whoever y- you see yourself as closest to in the world or your best friend in the world, like, they're the person you think of. You have exciting news, and who do you want to tell, you know? Yeah. Or you want to go out and do something, and who's the person who you invite, you know? If we can talk to God so often and make him so a part of our lives that he's that person, like, oh, this awesome thing happened, like, God, let me tell you about this. And thank you so much for helping me with that. You know, I think that that really exactly what you were just saying, you know, that helps us develop that relationship and grow closer to him. And then it makes it even easier to think about him further. And then when we feel close to someone and love someone and trust someone that way, they're the person we go to when we say something bad really happened or I need help with something, you know, and then we turn to him in those hard times too. So sometimes it can be hard to say like, to think like, how do I develop a relationship with somebody who I can't see? But really prayer, that communication, I think I agree is just so key because if we compare it to our early relationships, it's that person who you talk to and who you spend time with Mm -hmm. and put that effort into in that way that becomes all of those things who you trust the most. And we can do mm-hmm. that with God just as easily yeah. as anybody else. Because the more you talk to him, the more you'll find he talks back too. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> Absolutely. You learn to understand his voice better. Yeah. So she's very grateful 
but I don't know that that necessarily translates directly into happy or joyful sure, for, yeah. sure. <laughs> for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, she's, she's grateful and she's glad to be doing something new. And I think grateful for the experience, but there's also a little bit of like um, monotony to it. I mm-hmm. think, you know, she has dreams of like big cities and life and people and she's still kind of just in the middle of nowhere and she there's like four people in this house right Mm -hmm, so she meets the little girl who she's a governess for Adele and um she says like she kind of gets into her routine and she hangs out with this old lady Mrs. Fairfax (laughs) (laughs) she's hanging out with this nine-year-old girl Adele you know and you can love people, but it <laughs> doesn't yeah. necessarily mean that you're like, oh, yay, I get to spend 24-7 with this old lady and this little girl, <laughs> you know? But she says she is kind of describing Adele and says that she became obedient and teachable. She had no great talents, uh, but neither had she any deficiency or vice. She made reasonable progress, entertained for me a vivacious, though perhaps not very profound affection. And by her simplicity, gay prattle and efforts to please inspired me in return with a degree of attachment sufficient to make us both content in each other's society. Mm. (laughs) She's kind of like, yeah, you know, she's like, she's teachable. Mm -hmm. She's not really great, but like she, you know, she likes me enough. And so I like her enough. And and then she says, um, this will be thought cool language by persons who entertain solemn doctrines about the angelic nature of children and the duty of those charged with their education to conceive for them an idolatrous devotion. But I am not writing to flatter paternal egoism, to echo can or prop up humbug. I am merely telling the truth, you know, mm-hmm. and I think. I I just really liked, <laughs> I think that there's something to what she's telling us to, you know, we, we don't see, we're not seeing this in her character and her interactions with other characters. She, but she's willing to tell us, yeah, I did, like, I thought she was fine. You know, she's willing to kind of put herself in a vulnerable position to her reader in mm-hmm. a way that I really, I really like that she was willing to tell the truth to us, even though it kind of makes her look worse. Yeah. Anybody who thinks that somebody, like, how could you spend that much time around a fun little child? You know, she's mm-hmm. vivacious, she's happy, she's entertaining, she's easily taught. Like, how could you not just fall in love with her, right? And she's like, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I just didn't. So yeah. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. all. And and I thought that, I just thought that that showed a really interesting level of integrity mm-hmm. in being willing to make herself look worse to the reader in yeah. order to give a faithful representation of the account. Yeah, that's very true. And you can see how her integrity has matured. And right from the beginning, we know how much she values honesty. Yes. Like, <laughs> even from a young child, that's the one thing she was like, I may have my faults, but I am not a liar, even yeah. though that's what they keep saying I am. Definitely. Um, And so it's interesting that she's held on to that and matured in that idea a lot too over time so then we end up meeting mr rochester in a very dramatic scene (laughs) um where jane doesn't know it's mr rochester and she ends up scaring his horse 
Mr. Rochester gets knocked off and he has her help him over to the horse and she ends up telling him, you know, I work at the house, I work at Thorn- Thornfield Hall and he's like, oh, interesting and still doesn't <laughs> say anything and then shows up at the house and she- I think she sees the dog first that he was with mm-hmm. and is like, oh, shoot. <laughs> that is the dog. And they're like, oh, yeah, Mr. Rochester hurt his ankle. <laughs> and she's like, crap. <laughs> it's totally him. So then he calls her down with Adele to talk with him which is very interesting I would I wonder what he would have done that first night if they hadn't had that interaction because you get the feeling that he was just interested in her right like I kind of doubt that he he might have called Adele but I don't know that he would have called the governess and maybe he would have waited even like I get the feeling I mean he's not Adele's biggest fan, unfortunately. Yeah. But he's also his own being. Anyway, but... He's got his um, own faults. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I kind of feel like he would have waited to see Adele, just because he's like, I gotta recover from his journey or right. whatever. Don't want to um, deal with her right now. Yes, exactly. But he's interested in Jane, and so he has her come down. And it's interesting to see their first conversation Because he's just very, like, he's trying to poke the bear, so to speak. Like, he's trying to just figure out, figure her out. Right. So he kind of, like, is like, do you want a present? Like, when he gives Adele a present. And Jane's just, like, very calm, cool, and collected. And it's just like, since I'm a stranger and have done nothing to entitle me to to an acknowledgement, no. (laughs) And then he ends up saying you know your pupil's bright she's improved i can already tell and she's like that's my present you're telling me that i'm doing my job right so she even in that moment where he's just a very odd man and she even says that a couple things like that a couple times of just like you're just very very different from what you would um, expect that's what that's what that james 1 8 scripture made me think of oh okay (laughs) a double-minded man is Mm -hmm. unstable in all his ways we don't exactly know everything now but i think that that scripture describes mr rochester yes that is very fair so (laughs) weird and then you learn about him and you're like Huh. <laughs> yes, you're right. That's why you're unstable. Yeah, you were very double-minded. About very double. Yeah, things yep. in your life for sure. And I think that's part of what attracts him to Jane to start with is she yeah. is stable and she's very yes. um, calm. That cool, and collected man. Yes, and yeah. she has integrity, which I would argue that he doesn't fully understand, and that becomes clear later on that he doesn't really understand the integrity, yeah. but he's attracted to it. Yeah. There's something about it that does draw him in. And so we continue to get to know him. They have some very interesting conversations, very flirty, intellectual conversation, I oh, would say. Oof. Um, the best kind. <laughs> just, just, you know, honestly. I mean, okay, so there's one conversation where I, you can see perfectly, like, both of their characters, like mm-hmm. we've been talking about, right? Yeah. And um, it's when he asks her if she thinks he's handsome. <laughs> That's where I meant to. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so he's not. They make that very clear from like the moment she meets he's him. He's an right? ugly He's man. ugly. He's ugly. <laughs> it's actually, do you want to hear, hear, okay, listen to this description of Mr. Rochester on the back of my book. Okay. The central focus of deepening characterization and poignant romance stems from her involvement with the handsome, sardonically proud aristocrat, Mr. Rochester. They um, literally just describe him they as handsome. Him handsome. Yeah. Have you read the book? They call him ugly so many oh times gosh. in the book. Yes. 
And then it was so funny because the first paragraph describes Jane and it says that she's a shy, plain little girl. And the first time I read that, I was like, have you read this book? Because she's not shy. Like, she'll yeah. say whatever she wants to. Uh-huh. Like, she's quiet. She's quiet. she's yeah. not shy. It's yeah, they different. say quiet determination. And I'm like, that's true. Mm-hmm. But she's not shy. Yeah. She'll like, yeah, no. I was like, okay, so whoever wrote this didn't read this book, yes. actually. Did not understand it, yeah. for sure. Anyway, so, uh, so yeah. Mr. Rochester asks, do you think me handsome? <laughs> and she says... I should, if I had deliberated, she, she missed that reflection, yes. <laughs> have replied to this question by something conventionally vague and polite, but the answer somehow slipped from my tongue before I was aware. No, sir. <laughs> Immediate. No. And I just love, you know, you can see that honesty. Obviously, I connect honesty and integrity really closely because I keep bringing that up. But, (laughs) you know, I think that they're pretty, I think they're very similar. You know, you're being honest with yourself, honest to God. If you're being Mm. honest to, like, what you believe in yourself and God, then you act with integrity. Yeah. Uh (laughs) So I see this as, like, a great show of her integrity to, like, you know, to herself and her beliefs. And she's just kind of... But she also, like, she tries to take it back later, you know? She's like, sir, I was too plain. I beg your pardon. (laughs) And so, and I kind of love that balance, you know? She wants to be honest, but she also wants to be kind, right? And I think Mm -hmm. that's a huge factor because sometimes we can take honesty too far, right? To rude Mm -hmm. bluntness. Um, But she wants to, she wants to be honest, but also be kind to people. And I think that's this perfect, you know, this perfect balance of like her really trying to do what's right. Absolutely. Um, because she doesn't want to insult him just as a human being. You know, she's not even worried that he's her boss. He's just like a person and she wants to show that. But then um, I think we see on the same page his attraction to that because (laughs) he like makes fun of her. He says, you stick a pen knife under my ear. (laughs) But uh, kind of he goes go on what fault do you find with me pray i suppose i have all of my limbs and all my features like any other man i i think he likes it he thinks mm-hmm. it's funny that she was just like because most honest. other he, women are gonna he's rich so yeah they're gonna, they're gonna lie try to charm him and he's been lied to mm-hmm. as we're gonna find out he's yeah. been lied mm-hmm. to by women who just want his money and yeah. so having a woman who's willing to just say like no you're not really mm-hmm. like he's gonna be like oh you're real you know yes. and he loves that mm-hmm. so I just thought that that's perfect. And I do love it, too, because I feel like it shows, you know, that principle of honesty that's so important to her. But we also see the fact that she didn't reflect kind of gives that idea of she is attracted to him. Yes. Like the fact that she didn't reflect (laughs) and she just said no, sir, was just her instinct to be honest. Yes. But like it came because she's nervous. Yeah. She's not as cool and collected as she seems. She's not. Like she, which ends up working on him. So it's good. But, like, for her, like, you can see that it's because even though he's not handsome, she is attracted to him. Mm -hmm. Um, And mostly his intellect and just something about him, the tall, dark, mysterious nature about him is intriguing to her. Which is kind of the same with him, too, right? Because she's described as plain. She's not pretty. Mm -hmm. But there's something that first night he shows it when he calls her and he says it later on, like, she there was just something about her that intrigued him like for some reason Mm -hmm. there's just this innate attraction to each other 
Which works perfectly, I guess. Yes. Uh, that's <laughs> how it should be, honestly. Yeah. Is it's great. Looks aren't going to last anyway. True, so exactly. you may as well fall in love for those other yes. reasons. This is also very telling. If we're talking about foreshadowing, okay. um, as far as Jane goes, she he asks her basically how she feels about him commanding her. Essentially, it's a little more okay. complicated than that. They're discussing this idea of him being older and therefore wiser and more experienced and what that should mean to her. And because she's kind of been taken aback by some of his commands and he's like, I apologize. I'm used to being yes. people doing what I tell them to. So they're having this conversation about experience and age and class and things like that. And her response um, at one point when he's asking her about her feelings about it, she says, I don't think, sir, you have a right to command me merely because you are older than I or because you have seen more of the world than I have. Your claim to superiority depends on the use you have made of your time and experience. And we know what she's done with her time and experience, and a lot of that has been spiritual growth and maturity. And Mr. Rochester, I don't think, has spent his time doing that. Even though he's been on Earth a lot longer, he hasn't actually utilized it to the same extent that Jane has. And I think that very much shows in later conversations after a lot more has happened between them that even though Mr. Rochester is older, Jane is spiritually older. She's spiritually more mature than he is. And that makes has a big impact on the way the story goes later on. Yeah, I love that. So then they continue to get to know each other. And we actually have some other ladies of higher class coming to visit. And this really brings out a lot of Jane's insecurities. Um, because even though she's pretty confident confident in herself and she's given up the idea of wishing she was pretty she's still very aware that she's plain and she's only 18 like how can an 18 year old girl or boy like who knows that they're not very physically attractive like it's a hard thing to come to terms with yeah it's a hard thing and especially when you're with this man that you're attracted to and he's surrounded by these women that you know are socially pretty like and also and, rich yeah i was gonna say and also of closer social class than yeah. you are like it brings out a lot of those insecurities that she struggled with a long time about her looks but i love that it doesn't change who she is like she doesn't try to act like them she doesn't try to change the way she does her hair or anything like yeah. she just she feels down about it but she's like you know this is who i am so i'm just yeah. gonna still be me even if it hurts to compare myself kind of like what helen said earlier i can't remember the exact quote about like accepting the fate that god has given yeah her. absolutely yeah. Mm-hmm. and so that's really important to her and i love that she does that and i think that probably stands out to mr rochester too of like she's not doing anything to try to change the way she behaves or the way she mm-hmm. looks to match these women it would be so easy for her to do that and i'm sure he's seen it before of yeah. these women trying to impress him and tripping over each other and trying yeah. to outdo each other and jane just doesn't she just accepts like you said she accepts the lot that god gave her and does with what with it what she will there's a moment later a, a plot point happens in between so i won't <laughs> but, but i think it applies now too i wrote down somewhere that she's showing she's being honest to herself it's completely for her what's the what's that scripture yes it made me think of you wrote down a scripture from job job 27 5 that says god forbid that i should justify you till i die i will not remove mine integrity from me 
And I think like, I just loved that scripture with Mm -hmm. an application to Jane because it's, you know, she cares so much about at this point, like it's not about what other people think like it was before, Mm -hmm. you know, like she has this integrity that matters to her. And so, and it's, you know, she has to be true to who she is no matter what. And we see, we see that very much so right here. And then we see it continue in incredible ways later on too, that I absolutely love. And that this is just reminding me of going back and looking at again. And I think that that would just be so refreshing to Mr. Rochester, knowing that she's for real, like Mm -hmm. no matter what, whatever you want to say about Jane, you're getting the real Jane. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Uh That is her. And I like too that through all of this, she also has just very kind feelings towards Mm. Mr. Rochester. Like she knows that there's something off about him, not just (laughs) that like there's weird things happening in the house and she's like, you're not telling me something. Like I'm pretty sure before this is when his room catches fire and he like saves, she saves his life. Um, that whole scene, which is also a very squeal-worthy scene at the end. Yes. Um, but there's gaslighting going on in that scene as well. <laughs> anyway, so there's these strange things going on, but I think she also recognizes that he has goodness in him. In fact, she says during this time, Was Mr. Rochester now ugly in my eyes? No reader. Gratitude and many associations, all pleasurable and genial, made his face the object I best like to see. Yet I had not forgotten its faults. She goes on to say, but I believed that his moodiness, his harshness, and his former faults of morality had their source in some cruel cross of fate. I believed he was naturally a man of better tendencies, higher principles, and purer tastes than such as circumstances had developed, education instilled, or destiny encouraged. I grieved for his grief, which is just a beautiful sentence as well. I grieved for his grief. And I mean... Obviously, like we said, she's attracted to him. So that always helps. It makes it easier. um, For you to feel charity towards someone. But I think it's very telling about her that she has a tendency to want to grieve with those who grieve. And that she recognizes that she doesn't understand his circumstances. And there's every reason why he could be the way he is. That's not necessarily in his control i mean obviously ultimately it's in his control make our decisions but life can encourage certain tendencies certain circumstances can easier than others so now i love that quote if we could all just see everybody in the world like that oh my gosh like what a place honestly recognizing first she recognizes that he has faults you know she's not putting him on a pedestal even though she likes him Mm -hmm. (laughs) she says he's a human being he has faults but i think he's good and you know and maybe these faults have developed because of something i don't understand but underneath it he's good and i think that regardless of our relationship with anyone if we could just try to see everybody like that a little bit more then yes (laughs) we'd be in much better places Mm -hmm. absolutely so this fire happens and she saves him (laughs) and i was describing this to my brother and it's like he's like okay so we have everything settled you can go and she's like Okay, good night. And he's like, wait, you're going to go? <laughs> I know. <laughs> and that happens, like, three times, right? And she's just so calm. Like, even, even like, to us, you know? Like, she's just like, okay, well, like, inconsistently, because he had just told me to go. <laughs> you know? Like, she's just confused and acting like he's as weird as he is, because <laughs> he's so yes. weird. 
Um, but also, like, knowing what happens, you know there is an internal battle in him that's probably right. coming out. That's a good point. Moment, I hadn't know? thought about that intern mm-hmm. where he's like, no, I shouldn't, but I really want to. Yeah. I really shouldn't. <laughs> I really shouldn't. <laughs> and that's just coming out in a way that she that's and true. us as the readers for the first time don't understand. Yeah. But so then she's like so calm and collected and then all of the sudden is like talking about how in love with him she is. <laughs> and I was like, how did I not know this? Like, I, w- I was sitting here assuming... Like, I made one note that was like, oh, she's not, like, completely oblivious to the fact that he's interested in her. And then on the next page, she's like, oh. <laughs> I'm like, wait, you know that you're in love with him? I was literally <laughs> so surprised. I'm like, where is this book going? If you both know you're in love with each other, what's happening right now? <laughs> and so what I put down was that she's like, the control of her character right here. I was like, holy cow. She's so in control of her character that like during that scene where because she's the like. Tension. <laughs> the tension of that scene. I think it's probably the most sexually tense. tense scene. I got no sexual <laughs> tension from the fire I scene. I really? Got, I got none. No, it's like all on his oh side. Gosh, that's what that's, that's so what I'm saying is that he's so sexually tense and she's like, I'm trying to go to bed, yeah. you know? She's like, what are you doing? Yeah, okay, and so enough, she's like yeah. so in control of her words and her actions that it doesn't even tell the reader that she's in love with him mm-hmm. until the next day when she and then the next day she's all like you know, I'm like trying to figure out what's going on. And she's like investigating and talking to all the servants, just kind of assuming that he'll call her. And then it's not until that night when he doesn't call her that she's like, Jane, you idiot. Why would you think that he's in love with you? How could you even entertain the possibility of marriage? And I was like, marriage? <laughs> where did this come from? Like last night you were like, okay, why are you trying to keep me here any longer? Good night. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't even, and so yeah, the character control really hit me right there where I was like, this lady is a machine yes. in terms of being in absolute mm-hmm. control of herself. <laughs> I do imagine her, and maybe part of this is in adaptations too, but like mm-hmm. imagine her kind of shaking a little bit though during that scene. Because like once you do realize that she's into it too, you're like, oh gosh. You can read it a little bit differently. The intensity for her, like to have him like holding her hand in Victorian England. Oh my gosh. Like (laughs) Yes. No, I'm so excited to watch the miniseries for sure. But um then so to bring integrity into it <laughs> yes so she like reveals that she's in love with him because apparently she had to reveal that even though it's from her perspective she says i cleared up the mistake of supposing mr rochester's movements a matter in which i had any cause to take a vital interest not that i had humbled myself by a slavish notion of inferiority on the contrary i just said you have nothing to do with the master of thornfield further than to receive the salary he gives you and then continuing on He is not of your order. Keep to your caste and be too self-respecting to lavish the love of the whole heart, soul, and strength where such a gift is not wanted and would be despised. And I just really loved that it she refuses to see herself as inferior Mm -hmm. um for reasons that i think you brought up earlier where she she values piousness you know she values a relationship with god so she recognizes she says keep to your caste you know she like recognizes kind of her 
inferior technically place in the world but as far as spiritual matters go she recognizes that she's on the same level and maybe even higher you Mm -hmm. know and so she says i i'm self-respecting you know i I, i'm i'm humbling myself not based on inferiority but on my self-respect you know Mm -hmm. because i am worth somebody who wants my love Right. And I think that she's just being very, it struck me as integrity. It's kind of maybe Mm -hmm. a looser definition of being, of showing integrity to herself. But I think that, I think that it's relevant to it, you know, where she, um, yeah, she just, she respects herself. She, she knows that she's worthy of something more than what she believes Rochester has to give her. And I think that that's a really important aspect of her character Mm -hmm. is that she knows that she's worthy. And a healthy aspect of relationships. Like, I hadn't thought about that before, but integrity not only builds our relationship with God, but it does build other relationships because we're, we end up being more confident in ourselves. Yeah. And more, I think a relationship with God, the most special thing about it is that it boosts our personal self-confidence in a healthy way where it's not pride. Right. It's just an understanding of our position and relationship with god and what that means your divine characteristics exactly and so it makes it so you have much healthier relationships with other people because you understand what a good relationship should be for sure yeah i saw in a relief society lesson once about like kind of growing closer with a partner um somebody Mm -hmm. put up this like image of a triangle like god at the top and Mm -hmm. then you and your partner and if you're both moving closer to god then you're automatically moving closer to each Mm -hmm. other and i really loved that idea yeah (laughs) beautiful illustration yeah absolutely so then like i mentioned we have the ladies come that's after the fire and we have a lot of very interesting feelings between jane and blanche ingram who's kind of the main like socialite of the group and she's the one who's trying to get mr rochester's attention the most and so it's very like i said earlier she tends to compare herself but she's also not changing herself for them but specifically with blanche there's definitely some interesting thought processes they don't really interact with each other directly very much due to the nature of their social class but there's interesting thoughts in jane's head about the situation yeah, Blanche obviously like looks down on her, so yes. <laughs> it's like uh-huh. an avoidance very condescending of... <laughs> and belittling. Yeah. yeah, for sure. No, it is really interesting, especially going off of that like self-respect that we just talked about, right? And that sense of inferiority and superiority. You see it so interestingly in this comparison that Jane makes with Blanche, right? Mm. And I would almost bring it back to the very beginning where we talked about how like Jane kind of. She takes negative influences and she's like, no, you're bad. I'm not going to be like you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She takes positive influences and says, yes, I like that. I'm going to emulate that. Right. And so she meets Blanche and, you know, Rochester is showing her all of these favors and she becomes convinced that Rochester like is going to marry Blanche. Right. And she says, I was not jealous or very rarely. The nature of the pain I suffered could not be explained by that word. Miss Ingram was a mark beneath jealousy. She was too inferior to excite the feeling. Pardon the seeming paradox. I mean what I say. She was very showy, but she was not genuine. She had a fine person, many brilliant attainments, but her mind was poor, her heart barren by nature. Nothing bloomed spontaneously on that soil. She was not good. She was not original. And so it's just really, it's interesting to see 
Jane so strongly hold to the principles that she knows to be right, you know, and see this Mm -hmm. woman who society is telling her is so much better than her and say, I can't even be jealous of her because she doesn't have those things that I have that I know are better Mm -hmm. than all of these earthly temporal accomplishments, right? Mm -hmm. And so I just love that kind of eternal perspective that lets her be so self-respecting and so confident in her and herself and her Mm -hmm. abilities. Yeah, absolutely. And I do like it too, because I think in a way, um, just kind of an opposite end as far as like character development, like it shows she's, Jane's not perfect either though. Like she has this moment of, she says, it's not quite jealousy, but like she is, she has negative feelings towards Blanche. And she definitely clearly shows a bit of maybe a judgmental, aspect to her because it's not like she knows Blanche. Right. Like she's seeing her in a very specific context. And so um, perhaps it's not her most fair, her most just, as she would say, moment as far as her treatment of her. But it does still show, like you said, like there is that level of integrity as far as her dedication to her principles and what she values that also is showcased through that. So I think it's a situation that shows both a strength and a weakness of hers that she tends to be maybe judgmental of other people based on her values and principles um, that she holds on to so tightly. No, I love that you bring that up since we talked about like her looking at Mr. Rochester with kind of some Mm -hmm. added mercy. And that tells us that maybe she is either viewing Mr. Rochester better than she views other people because Mm -hmm. of her attraction. Yes. Uh (laughs) Or maybe she's viewing Blanche more negatively than she does other people. Maybe the other people in the party she views with that, like, yeah, you know, they're probably good (laughs) underneath. Like I can see they're good and they're bad, but Blanche she's like, no, she's terrible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I, yeah, one or the other. It's mm-hmm. definitely, it's that's interesting. Yes, it's an area that she still needs to learn in, but it does make it a lot more, a lot better. Her relationship with Mister Rochester because it shows that she's not perfect. Like if she was perfect, there's no way, I, no way. anyone would want her with Mister Rochester, including Ain't herself. No <laughs> um, but also, I mean, there's already argument to be made that she's too good for Mister Rochester. But that's a whole other discussion. Pretty easy one. Yes, uh-huh. but I do think that would make it even more like they're way too far apart yes. to make it conceivable. You know, for sure, she's definitely she's a flawed person. We love flawed characters. Yes. a perfect character isn't fun to read yes, about. Yes, so. because they're not real. They're not real. They're yeah. not real. Thanks for bringing up her flaw. Only Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is the only perfect yes. person that's fun to you read write about. about Jesus. <laughs> He can be perfect. Yes, that was great. You have reached the end of part one of our episode on Jane Eyre. We hope you enjoyed. Please be sure to subscribe and leave a like if you're watching on YouTube or a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Part two will be released Thursday, July 27th. Until then, keep remembering to seek God in all things, and we will see you next time. Bye!